back to the broadcast, friends. You are tuned into Corbett Report Radio, and I am your host, as always, from the land of the rising sun, all the way out in Japan, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you on this 24th of January, 2012, or the 25th, I suppose, depending on what side of uh, what time zone you might be living in. And for myself, it is the 25th of January. But wherever you are and however you're listening, thank you for joining us tonight. As always, blasting out live via the auspices of KHFX 1140 AM in Dallas-Fort Worth and live on the Internet and around the world on republicbroadcasting.org. And I'd just like to remind all the listeners out there, if you haven't yet done so, to go to republicbroadcasting.org, which is having a pledge drive at the moment to try to raise funds in order to continue broadcasting on KHFX 1140 and also to expand into other markets and hire new staff and all of this stuff that has to go on behind the scenes in order to make independent alternative media like this possible. So if you haven't yet done so, please go to republicbroadcasting.org and take a look at that. We have a very interesting broadcast lined up for you this evening, so I hope you're strapped in for tonight's conversation as we talk to Jason Leopold the lead investigative reporter for truthout.org. That's truth-out.org. And he also runs, uh, he's an editor-at-large for the public record at pubrecord.org. He's an investigative reporter who has appeared in all sorts of different print and online uh, media journals, including the Asia Times, the LA Times, the Wall Street Journal, Alternate, Counterpunch, and many, many other places besides. And he has a, a recent article uh, that has just been published on Truth Out in the last week called Revealed the FBI's Secretive Practice of Blackballing Files that we'll be dipping into this evening. But uh, first off, right off the bat, uh, Jason, it's great to have you on the program tonight. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you. Pleasure to be with you. Well, it is great to talk to you. Uh, it's uh, the first time that we've talked, so perhaps yeah. you could just start by telling us a little bit about Truth Out and the work that you do there. Sure. I'm a lead investigative reporter over at uh, truthout.org. Uh, I cover, uh, for the most part, uh, counterterrorism, intelligence, uh, issues revolving around Guantanamo, the abuse and torture of uh, detainees, and really just digging into uh, some disturbing subjects that most people seem to have drifted away from uh, or have drifted away from. Uh, truthout.org has been a, it, it's a, we're a nonprofit news publication, publish, uh, 365 days a year, uh, and we have been online for 10 years. Uh, September was our 10th anniversary, and it's a, 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 a uh, publication in which we showcase reporting that you would otherwise not see, uh, in, uh, mainstream outlets and really are known for uh, our in-depth, lengthy, long-form journalism reports. That's certainly right. And uh, speaking of disturbing reports, there's all kinds of disturbing information coming out at a faster and faster rate these days. And just on the front page of Truth Out right now, you have stories like patients may die when doctors moonlight as big pharma's key opinion leaders and other such uh, very interesting stories besides, including, of course, uh, Jason Leopold's own reports. But, uh, but how long have you been writing with Truth Out? I've been writing with Truth Out on and off, actually, for about, uh, I want to say it, this is going to be my sixth year. I left Truth Out back in 2008, if I'm not mistaken on the date, uh, and uh, started the public record. And basically, I started the public record, uh, again, as a, it started as a nonprofit to really showcase investigative journalism and reporting 
that just was not received the attention it deserved uh, in the other outlets. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's leave it there. We'll uh, take a few minutes break, and when we come back, we'll continue talking with Jason Leopold of TruthOut.org. My sweetest friend, everyone I know goes away in the air. Have you ever filed a Freedom of Information Act request with the FBI and received a written response from the agency stating that it could not locate records responsive to your request? If so, there's a chance the FBI may have found some documents, but for unknown reasons, the agency's FOIA analysts determined it was not responsive and blackballed the file, crucial information the FBI withholds from a requester when it issues a no-records response. The FBI's practice of blackballing files has never been publicly disclosed before, with the exception of one open government expert, a half dozen others contacted by Truthout said they were unfamiliar with the process of blackballing and had never heard of the term. And so opens a recent investigative report on Truthout.org called Revealed the FBI's Secret Practice of Blackballing Files by Jason Leopold. And we have Jason Leopold on the line with us tonight to go over this and some other stories that he's uh, currently breaking. So, uh, Jason, just a monumental story here. Perhaps we can get into a little bit of the history of how this story came together and how it was yeah. revealed that this uh, this blackballing was going on. Sure. Well, that's actually uh, it's great to start with because I did not include that. Uh, that uh, part in my report, I had filed last year, actually it was uh, last October, I filed the Freedom of Information Act with the FBI. And I often file Freedom of Information Act when I try to uh, use that to obtain information uh, about you know ongoing government activity. And this Freedom of Information Act I filed uh, revolved around Occupy Wall Street. And I wanted to know if the FBI had any documents, emails, memos, uh, anything pertaining to Occupy Wall Street. And uh, I was very surprised to receive a response from the FBI uh, no less than three weeks after I filed my FOIA. That's, that's somewhat unusual. And their response to me was, uh, we do not have anything. No responsive records, and that's important, no responsive records uh, we were able to find in our central records database. The central records database is basically where they house all the, uh, uh, the, or the main files uh, that they have. And uh, I just found that odd and unbelievable, uh, particularly because I had seen some evidence online already uh, that the FBI was uh, uh, the recipient of some emails and had uh, sent out some emails. And when you when you request records from the FBI, they're also supposed to search all their field offices. So, for example, if you send a FOIA request to FBI headquarters in Washington D.C. beyond the central records database, you know that they search, they're also supposed to search all the field offices. And with the new laws that were uh, put implemented after the Obama administration came in, uh, just uh, updating FOIA, that's supposed to happen automatically. So I was uh, 
uh, a bit concerned that they did not do the search uh, that they should have done. And they were basically telling me that they couldn't find anything on Occupy Wall Street. So perhaps there were some other keywords. But again, the FBI should have done a more comprehensive search. So I published a story basically stating that the FBI did not find any files or they claimed that they could not find any files responsive to my request, uh, that more or less they have no documents on Occupy Wall Street. And keep in mind that this was this is a global movement uh, receiving quite a bit of uh, attention in the media, obviously, and there were uh, violent activities that were taking place uh, you know, by law enforcement. Yeah, what I think most people would would believe that you know the FBI would perhaps be keeping tabs on it, and 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 that's not a bad thing, uh, uh, but you'd want to know exactly what they were involved with. So after I published the story, I had received uh, a uh, I, I was contacted by a person named Trevor Griffey. Trevor Griffey is a historian. Uh, he is. Uh, he teaches U.S. history at Evergreen State College in the state of Washington, uh, Washington State, that is. Uh, and he had uh, contacted me saying, you know, some of the details that you mentioned about the FBI being notorious uh, in terms of issuing no responsive records found may be a bit outdated. And I want you to know that there's actually something bigger here. Have you ever heard of blackballing? And I said, I've never heard of that. What, what are you talking about? And he had, uh, he, he provided me with this uh, document. It was a standard operating procedure uh, that he requested under FOIA uh, that showed that the FBI had blackballed files. And basically how, how he got this was he was doing some work on a, a very big uh, project related to uh, the civil rights movement. Uh, and he had requested from the FBI, he filed a FOIA request, and he asked them whether they had any files on Manning Maribel. Manning Maribel, a professor uh, uh, who passed away last year, he had uh, published an exhaustive biography uh, just as he passed away on Malcolm X. And he had, uh, Trevor Griffey had requested, uh, filed a FOIA request seeking anything that Manning Marable filed in which he had sought files on Malcolm X. So he was basically looking for Manning Marable's FOIA. And the FBI responded to Trevor by uh, stating that they had no responsive file on Manning Marable making such a request. And Trevor found that odd because, as I indicated, Manning Maribel was, you know, writing a, a biography. He just found it odd that uh, Manning Maribel would never file a FOIA request, uh, you know, with the FBI seeking uh, Malcolm X's file. So he contacted the uh, FOIA analyst. The FBI has a Freedom of Information Act analyst who works there. He emailed with this person. This person responded by saying, um, you know, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe if you want to give me some more keywords, I'll, you know, I'll search it. Uh, and she said, but uh, the analyst said that, uh, uh, well, you know, one file came back, uh, but it was blackballed. Uh, 
and he had no idea what the analyst was uh, talking about. Uh, so he said blackballed. Uh, basically, what the analyst was saying was that this was a file that they did find, but they did not tell Trevor in their response that they had a file, that the file was blackballed, and they did not indicate to him why it was blackballed. And so what this ultimately means is that blackball, okay, is a term of art that the FBI uses. And that's what the FBI told me. The word, the term blackball is a term of art, an unfortunate term, uh, the FBI spokesperson uh, said, uh, in which, for whatever reason, uh, the FBI will blackball certain files. So, for example, James, you file a FOIA request with the FBI on me, Jason Leopold, and perhaps you, uh, perhaps there's more than one Jason Leopold, and uh, the FBI uh, will respond to you by saying that uh, you know we 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 found one file, uh, but one of those basically the FBI will respond by saying. You know, they found the one file you need, but the other file, they'll never tell you what it is. So let's say you, I hope this is making sense and it's not too confusing, but, you know, let's say you file, you also, you know, file uh, a FOIA request on uh, George Bush and you want some documents uh, and they say that they don't have any responsive files. But behind the scenes, they actually found some files, but for whatever reason, they are blackballing it. And again, perhaps it's not the exact file that uh, you know that you need, uh, because there are uh, you know what what you sought was not contained in that file, and there may be another reason. So when Trevor had asked for the standard operating procedure, they actually he filed a FOIA request for it. And he received the FBI standard operating procedure for how it blackballs files. And there are several classifications. So 190 main files. 190 main files is a classification that the FBI uses for Freedom of Information Act and Privacy Act requests pertaining to individuals. There's a classification for uh, civil litigation. That's 197 main, uh, 197 uh, files. And then there's an entirely separate classification that the public does not know about, uh, that we have no idea why they, uh, the files would be ripe for blackballing in that category. They actually redacted that information in the standard operating procedure. So unless you are a savvy uh, FOIA requester and you know uh, how FOIA works, you will never know uh, that the FBI ever uh, blocked these files, blackballed them from being released. You will never know why. You will never uh, know what the you know what what the purpose was, unless you make another filing for what are called processing notes. And basically, what processing notes are, uh, it provides. Uh, information to the requester about how the FBI, or any other government agency, by the way, I don't want to just limit it to the FBI, 
how they would uh, uh, respond to a FOIA request. <laughs> so a, a, a request to get information about the request. Uh, exactly, and people can do that. Quite a circular thing, and I find it particularly ironic that this, is, this was all outed via FOIA requests, so uh, kind of interesting. But on that note, we'll hold it right there. If you want to get in on tonight's conversation, the phone lines are open, 1-800-313-9443. And we'll be back with more of Jason Leopold at truthout.org right after this. Friends, we're back here on Corbett Report Radio talking to Jason Leopold of truthout.org about an interesting story that he's just recently broken, revealed the FBI's secretive practice of blackballing files, talking about ways that uh, the FBI can basically take a file and make it completely hidden from sight via a regular FOIA request. Quite an interesting process, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure uh, if you're aware of this, uh, Jason, but last year I was working on a story with a lawyer out in Utah called Jesse Trinidou, whose brother was uh, killed in uh, federal custody at a federal transfer facility in Oklahoma, um, having been falsely identified as John Doe Number 2 from the Oklahoma City bombing. And in his, uh, well, decade-long quest almost now to try to get uh, information about his brother's uh, death out of the FBI, he's come across all sorts of various tricks that the FBI has for, for hiding files from and shielding them from, uh, from FOIA, including... Uh, the S drive, the I drive, zero files, June files, and all sorts of other types of um, basically tricks that are used to shield things from, from FOIA. I'm not sure if you've run into those before or if you've uh, looked into the history of that for, for this uh, report. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, you know, it, it, there are a lot of tricks. I mean, you know, I just want to say that blackballing, there certainly is a process or a place for it, just as the expert, the open government expert, who uh, had weighed in on it, had said, so there is legitimately, if you ask for a file on me, and there happens to be more than one Jason Leopold that the FBI has, well, you don't want to get the wrong file. Um, so there certainly is a place for it. Not only do you not want to get the wrong file, I uh, or the, you know, the other person probably doesn't want you to have their file. So, uh, but the... The, the, the uh, issue here is that the public doesn't know. They're not being told about it. You're just simply being told, we have no responsive records, when in fact they actually may have responsive records, but they're not telling you why, you know, they're, they're being blackballed. So in, in, in what you had just mentioned, what is really important where, and where people can empower themselves is by filing FOIA requests for processing those. So, for example, if you filed a, uh, this person that you were working with, you filed a FOIA request, you received a case number. And in that, you know, case number, uh, you can simply use that, file a separate FOIA request, and say, I would like to request all the processing notes related to uh, this case number, whatever it was that they gave to you. And then what you'll get, and it does, that part does not take as long to receive uh processing notes, but what you'll see is how they handled the FOIA. What what went on behind the scenes? What were they saying? What were the analysts saying to each other? What were the discussions that were taking place? So it's a very important tool that you can use to figure out what's, you know, what's happening. Uh, and uh, it certainly could raise questions for, uh, for a requester. It certainly could lead to 
uh, you know, perhaps uh, tweaking, you know, another FOIA or uh, updating one that, that's already there. But that's a very, excuse me, a very, very important tool. Well, well, as you mentioned, I think there can be a place for for something like the idea of of holding back certain records that that don't necessarily um, that aren't necessarily responsive to, to the exact thing that that someone's mentioning. So, in your example, for example, um, coming up with files about a different Jason Leopold, obviously uh, they'd want to be careful not to do that. But but surely there could be other ways of implementing that or redacting information that uh, that could be exempt from the Freedom of Information without simply saying that it there there are no records. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, the problem is, is that they're, you know, when the, when the FBI conducts a search, I mean, obviously they're supposed to conduct a search for, you know, responsive records. They often go out of their way to conduct a, a narrow, as narrow a search as possible, basically, so they won't find responsive records. Uh, you know, one of the things related to, or, or one of the um, uh, exemptions that the, that the uh, FBI cited when they released the standard operating procedure to Trevor Griffey uh, about reasons that they would not uh, disclose all the information in terms of uh, about blackballing is, you know, there was an exemption which I included there in the story in which they talk about that it would uh, interfere with uh, law enforcement investigation or ongoing, uh, you know, prosecution. Uh, and that's to me, seems to be, you know, a clue uh, as to perhaps why, you know, people are not receiving documents and, and basically what they're receiving instead is we don't have anything. So the public is actually left to believe uh, that they really don't have anything. Hey, there's there's nothing here. We're, there's, there's no documents whatsoever exist. Uh, and, and that's obviously not the case. Uh, we know that the FBI, for the past two decades, in certain instances, um, has simply lied to people uh, filing FOIA requests by saying no documents exist, no files exist, when in fact they do. So beyond the, uh, the exemptions that they cite for withholding documents, there's also another important one, lying, <laughs> you know, and that is not, I, I'm not being uh, snarky uh, by saying that. I mean, that's truly what they do. They will lie. And it has been uh, discussed recently uh, in a court case in uh, Los Angeles here. I don't know the details of that case, but I think we should get into it when we come back from this break. Also, we should talk about some of the uh, the ways that they've twisted uh, words like internal in FOIA requests to, to uh, strain that interpretation in order to, to get around certain requests and things like that. Anyway, we will continue talking about this at, when we come back from this break, break again with Jason Leopold of Truthout.org here on Corbett Report Radio. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Okay, friends, we're back with Jason Leopold of TruthOut.org talking about FBI blackballing. Again, the phone lines are open if you want to get in on tonight's conversation, 1-800-313-9443. 
And uh, just before the break, Jason, you were mentioning a case in Los Angeles pertinent to all of this FBI blackballing shenanigans. Perhaps we can get into some of the details of that. Sure. Well, basically, you know, there have been um, attempts to get documents from the FBI related to their use of informants, uh, related to activities in which they have, for example, uh, recruited people to infiltrate mosques. Uh, and just in a nutshell, uh, the Justice Department had uh, gone to uh, court in, in response to uh, a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit uh, and basically admitted in court that uh, they have documents uh, and that they lied about it. They lied uh, in terms of telling the requester that they never existed. Not only that but they admitted that they also lied to the judge when, you know, the judge ordered uh, some of these files to be released. And by more or less telling the judge that these files were non-existent. And they were admonished for it. And it was a revelation because it showed that for, you know, for the past two decades that if they do not, uh, you know, if the government does not want certain documents to, to be released, uh, and this is written into, you know, the, the law that uh, it's okay to say uh, there's, there's no such document. Nothing, you know, nothing is there. Uh, and that had been, we don't really don't know how standard practice that has been, uh, but now that we know that that is something that they have done uh, before, it, again, it's something that, you know, people should be very concerned about. The Freedom of Information Act is, is truly a powerful tool. And as I indicated, I use it uh, often to guide my reporting. Uh, and it's tedious in terms of the time it takes to get the agency, uh, any government agency, to respond to a request. But... It, it, it's it's important because there are some uh, revelations that you know will be made, and often people who are filing Freedom of Information Act requests, you know, it would be uh, clear that they knew, they know exactly what they're looking for for the most part. Uh, it's not all about just you know I want my FBI file. I mean it's it's about uh, finding out about uh, or at least trying to find out about various government activities. Certainly for me, it's it's been helpful in terms of. Uh, you know, finding out what has taken place behind the scenes with relation to Guantanamo, uh, the war on terror, uh, you know, the uh, name that the Bush administration gave the, you know, what, what we've been dealing with for the past 10 years. Uh, and so it, it, it's truly an important tool. Uh, and even though one may get a response that says, well, we don't have documents, you know, there are still steps that you can take after the fact to, Particularly if you believe that that's not the case, you can you can appeal and ask them to go back and conduct uh, another search. Well, it shouldn't probably come as a surprise that the 
the deck is stacked in the favor of the house in this way, but it certainly, I, th- I hope that people won't uh, be disheartened from actually using FOIA. As you say, it is still capable of, uh, of revealing some very interesting information and has been used in that way for a long time. But of course, when this type of practice is, is uh, brought up, it does raise the specter that, that revelations can be uh, directed, uh, and that, that certain information can be released and other information held. And if we don't know about that process, then that's, uh, that's, Light of hand can can be extremely directive in in the type of reporting that will come out through it. So it is right. important that we do understand this process. But but for people who are intimidated by the FOIA process and who don't believe that that just a regular average Joe citizen can do this, that they think it's some special thing for journalists or something. Perhaps you can speak to the the importance of FOIA overall. Yeah, no, FOIA is it, it's and again, it's not just the FBI. It's the Freedom of Information Act with the CIA. It's Every government agency, can't, the FOIA does not apply to Congress or, or, or the White House, but it's an important tool if you want to find out what the government is up to, more or less. And, you know, I, do, I hear what you're saying in terms of the deck being stacked against uh, someone uh, in favor of, uh, of the government, but I, I would like to remind your listeners that over the past decade, everything that we truly have come to know about the uh, Bush administration's torture program, the issues related to Guantanamo, uh, torture, uh, I mentioned that torture, uh, you know, drones, uh, there, that is due to uh, FOIA lawsuits that have been filed by the American Civil Liberties Union. Uh, and, and people may not be aware that when Barack Obama finally released those torture memos, and those are very, very important documents, the ones that John Yoo uh, had uh, authored, as well as uh, Jay Bybee, another former Justice Department lawyer currently on the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, he released that in response, basically, to a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit that the ACLU had filed. And, you know, they, they took that all the way, uh, you know, through appeals courts. So it was something that was that is very expensive, but the end result is in favor of true transparency. We, we were able to see those documents. Now, you know, the administration, uh, this is where the government now, you know, in terms of trying to block the, we saw what happened when those documents were released. So now the administration more or less learned its lesson and and has gone uh, to court to try to block the release of, for example, photographs. Uh, I'm not sure if people are aware, but back in 2009, there were actually going to be photographs released as well to the ACLU. This was part of their massive FOIA request for the treat, uh, to to find out how the U.S. treated uh, detainees, prisoners in, in custody in, in Iraq and Afghanistan prison. And the administration was going to release it. Uh, because they lost a lawsuit. And in, uh, this was after uh, Obama had released the uh, torture memos uh, and was just uh, hammered by Dick Cheney and Republicans. So they actually, what they did uh, is they went, uh, the administration appealed to the Supreme Court, then went to Congress. Congress tweaked, uh, changed the law, changed FOIA uh, that, would, that, that allowed uh, images such as what the, the ones that I mentioned, uh, to be blocked from any FOIA request 
and uh, left it up to the Secretary of Defense. So, and, and that's the long answer I'm giving you. That shows how powerful FOIA is, because the you know while you know it's true that it's in favor of the House, uh, as you said, uh, you know in favor of the government. Uh, there are you know the the uh, statistics show that uh, you know people do receive documents more often than they don't. Uh, it certainly depends on what you're asking for. Uh, I had you know filed some FOIA requests last year for uh, several documents related to uh, um, Project 908. It's uh, it's an old project uh, related to continuity of government, uh, and uh, you know I received uh, received the documents. It's not it's, it's nothing spectacular, uh, but uh, it just shows that you know there were 900 pages that they sent me. Uh, so it's a it's a powerful tool uh, in terms of being able to get certain things that you you know that, that if you're working on a book, if you're if you're working on a news story, and that was you know the, those documents I particularly asked for were you know were going to be for or, or hopefully will will serve a purpose down the road for a story that I'm working on, uh, but. I also would, you know, since we were talking about the FBI, one thing that this administration does uh, is they actually, po- you know, you, you that they that they change and that they do well now. You can actually file your FOIAs for, uh, via email, so you don't have to, you know, type the letter, go to the post office, or uh, and, and mail it out. Uh, you can actually do it right through email. And in addition to that, the uh, uh, FBI has this uh, uh, website called The Vault, where they now post uh, a number of documents uh, online. So, again, you know, there there are obviously ones that people have often requested, and that's what happens when there are so many requests for the same documents. What they'll do is this goes for all government agencies. They'll, for the most part, post them online. Um, so it, you know, it is a very powerful tool, and people can certainly use it uh, to their advantage, but you have to be ar- you have to be the one armed with information as well. If you're filing a FOIA request, well, you have to know exactly, you, you, you should have as much information about that subject, about that person as possible. You should provide the agencies with as many keyword searches as you can. Uh, you should be sure to ask them to uh, re- uh, to uh, Search other uh, databases and uh, you know electronic systems. So it's truly important for the person, uh, the individual, to be armed with that information prior to making uh, a FOIA request. Because what will happen is, is if you ask for something, you know, a broad search, that could take years, and it could take years anyway. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I'm not sure if you heard the uh, the most recent story about uh, Charles Taylor, uh, uh, CIA war criminal. Yes, working for the CIA, uh, uh, president of uh, Liberia. Well, the information about working for the CIA, which is certainly not a surprise to most people, but you know, it came out via FOIA request that was filed six years ago. So uh, that is uh, again. A lot of information that people receive beyond, you know, getting it from leaks, which we know that the administration is cracking down on, uh, 
is is from waiting out on FOIA requests. All right. Once again, talking to Jason Leopold of Truthout.org, if you're just joining us. So, Jason, let's switch t- tracks slightly. Uh, you have a, a more recent report from this week called a CIA, CIA officer charged with leaking classified information to journalists gave exclusive interview to Truthout two years ago about uh, John Kiriakou, who was uh, charged by the Justice Department earlier this week for uh, supposedly leaking classified information to journalists and uh he was uh, probably most famous for an interview that he gave Brian Ross of ABC News back in 2007, but perhaps you can tell us a little bit about this story and, and what's really at stake here. Sure. This is, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't know too much about it in terms of uh, uh, the, the, the behind-the-scenes details, but uh, two years ago I sat down with uh, John Kiriaka. We did uh, a great interview, I thought. In fact, that's what uh, that's what you referenced. It's an on-camera interview, uh, and it's uh, it's lengthy. It's 35 minutes long. Uh, and John Kiriakou is a uh, you know former CIA officer. He was the uh, the the uh, counterterrorism uh, officer who led the team that captured the first high-value detainee after 9/11, Abu Zubaydah, who the Bush administration had uh, wrongly claimed was the number three person in Al Qaeda. Uh, he was the one that was subjected to all the uh, uh, torture techniques, uh, the first one to be subjected to that in a black site prison. And, you know, what the Justice Department is claiming is that John, uh, John Kiriakou, had leaked the name, uh, at least one name, uh, perhaps another, a couple of other names as well, of uh, covert CIA officers to uh, journalists, and that the journalists then, had provided that information to um, investigators who were working for lawyers, okay, lawyers who represent detainees, uh, and uh, were basically trying to get the detainees to identify who their torturers were. Uh, and the, part of the reason that they were doing that, uh, going to that length, you know, to say, look at, you know, are these the people who, you know, interrogated you, who waterboarded you, is because they have, they have been unable to mount any defense. So uh, this whole thing started. The, the back story here is that back in 2010, if I'm not mistaken, there were some photographs that were found in the cell of uh, one of the Guantanamo detainees, one of the high-value uh, detainees there. And... The photographs, there were, I'm not sure how many, but there were dozens. Uh, and it, in, in those photographs, there were just photographs of, you know, average Joes, uh, but they were mixed in as if there, there were a police lineup, uh, photographs of interrogators. And they, uh, Guantanamo, uh, officials, you know, seized the photographs, and an investigation was launched. And, and Part of the reason it was launched is that there was a lot of pressure by Republicans to launch an investigation. How are these photographs getting in there? And uh, it was traced back to uh, an investigator uh, named John Sifton, who ran this uh, this uh, firm called One World Research. And John Sifton is, uh, you know, an amazing human rights advocate. Uh, he has done such a, so much important work over the past decade, bringing to light these, you know, widespread human rights abuses 
that the U.S. was uh, has been guilty of. So uh, he was hired to more or less, you know, track down who some of these interrogators were. Uh, and what happened was uh, when the Justice Department started investigating, they somehow came across the, uh, you know, in, in the course of their investigation to see if the lawyers did anything wrong. Uh, and investigating John Sifton, uh, they had, you know, stumbled upon to uh, John Kiriakou's involvement uh, in this. And they're basically saying that the way that the investigator, and it's unclear if it's John Sifton, uh, he's not named in it, nor is, it, nor is any journalist named in it. Uh, but we know that one of the journalists is uh, Scott Shane from the New York Times. But the way that they tracked it back was, uh, you know, they started looking at, at emails, and they found some emails that showed that uh, John had provided the name, the email address, uh, even the phone number of one particular covert agent who was uh, on the operation with him to capture Abu Zubaydah in, Mar in uh, March 2002. And that person is named Deuce Martinez, and he was the subject of a 2008 New York Times front page story. Okay, we'll leave it there. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes after this break to wrap things up with Jason Leopold here talking live on this 24th of January 2012. So stay tuned right there. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Friends, we're here in the closing minutes of another edition of the Corbett Report radio broadcast. So thanks once again for joining us this evening. And we've been talking to Jason Leopold and specifically talking to him about two of his recent articles on truthout.org revealed the FBI's secret practice of blackballing files and CIA officer charged with leaking classified information to journalists gave exclusive interview to Truthout two years ago. And, of course, many, many more of his writings can be found at truthout.org. That's truth-out.org. Uh, Jason, in the final few minutes here, anything else you might be working on or uh, that might be coming out in the near future? Yes, there's actually, I can't really provide too many details, but there's uh, an investigative report I've been working on for about a year at this point, and uh, I'm actually at the writing stage now. I will say that it does uh, involve one of the high-value detainees, uh, that uh, we uh, currently have uh, uh, in custody at Guantanamo. Uh, I think it's uh, you know it will, it will be quite a revelatory story. Uh, it will certainly show uh, uh, again some, you know much government malfeasance. Uh, I don't even think that really truly describes it. But uh, that's something that I've been working on for a while. And, and you know the issues that. Uh, I tend to gravitate toward are ones that, for the most part, the majority of the public seems to be uh, disinterested in. As uh, uh, the, uh, the there's no they're no longer outraged about it, and that certainly involves uh, issues about national security, the changing you know the laws that uh, people seem to accept, the National Defense Authorization Act being one, 
uh, and, and what it all means. So, you know, these are uh, areas that I will continue to cover because I see that the, the fact that most people are not, certainly most journalists are not giving that as much attention as, as it deserves. Indeed, and earlier this month we had Dr. Jeffrey Kay on to talk about the work that you two have done uncovering the uh, cover-up that's gone on via the DOD about uh, a JFIC unit that was tracking bin Laden and was called off that uh, that quest before 9-11. Um, do you, and he was indicating there might be a follow-up to that in the near future? Yes, yes, and, and, and that's something that uh, he and I are both uh, uh, working on as well. So that that is another one. And, the, and, and thanks for mentioning that, and, and thanks for having uh, Jeff on your show. I mean, he's... Uh, uh, an amazing reporter in addition to the fact that he has a full-time job as a psychologist. Uh, but that's, a, that's an example of a story that, for some reason or another, people just did not seem, uh, they, they, they seemed incapable of certainly wrapping their arms around it. It's, a, it's a, an explosive story. It's a story that was based entirely on documents, gov- the government's own documents, and, you know, an interview we did with the whistleblower, uh, and, uh, you know, it, it just seemed to um, go over people's heads. I'm glad that you uh, gave it that the attention, and I certainly appreciate that. Absolutely, and I think we're going to have uh, Dr. Kay on again in the future, so we, we can follow up with that story and some of the others that he's working on. But uh, absolutely, well, I've been throwing uh, people to truthout.org, obviously, to, to keep track of your various stories. But uh, in the final uh, seconds here, why don't you throw out your own website and your own Twitter and uh, your memoirs sure. and anything uh, else? Yes, they can follow me at uh, you know uh, at Jason Leopold on Twitter, uh, pubrecord.org, that's P-U-B record.org is... Uh, just another website that uh, uh, that I have that uh, uh, to showcase, you know, the work that uh, uh, of other journalists. Uh, and uh, I'm also the author of uh, a memoir called News Junkie, uh, which uh, uh, more or less documents uh, my personal and professional life in in, uh, uh, in, in the media. All right, excellent. Well, I hope people will go and check that out as well as some of your other work. So, Jason Leopold, thank you again for your time tonight, and thank you to all of you out there for listening. I'm looking forward to talking to you again tomorrow night. Until then, thank you for listening and take care. Thank you.